are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Pratna Bora, a climate and sustainability strategist and country director India at CDP. She was previously country director India of Clean Air Asia, an international NGO set up by the ADB. Good evening, Prathna. Welcome to the Elephant in the Room podcast, and thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. So let's get started. Could you share a quick introduction to who you are? Tell us a bit about yourself. So firstly, thank you to the Purpose Room for having me here. And I'm really excited that this happens to be my first podcast. <laughs> so my name is Pratna, Pratna Bora. I am the India Director of CBP. For those of you who don't know, CDP is a global not-for-profit, primarily working in disclosures. We are headquartered in the UK, but we work on a subsidiary model. So we work in almost 60 countries with offices in North America, South America, India, and a large presence in the Asia-Pacific region. Personally, I would like to call myself an environmental educator, and I've been in the space for almost 30 years now, started with conservation, nature education, moved on to sectoral areas of work, started with first climate and then air pollution and then back to climate again. Now in the last couple of years, working especially with the business community to what I would say drive climate action, understanding of environmental issues and promoting sustainable business models with the help of disclosure. Okay. India. So India is a hugely complicated market. We all know that complex and complicated India. What is CDP's ambition for India? So I think every organization working in this environmental space or especially in climate would have to have a large ambition for the global south and if we talk about the global south, the two countries which have the highest emissions and also are capable of making the largest positive environmental impact are India and China. So I think like every other organization working in this space, CDP has, I must say, it does have an ambition for India. And the very fact that we have a growing country office and a growing ambition from the point of view of looking at more and more industry to convince them to adopt our disclosure process, as well as start thinking about the transition to net zero. I think that itself is an ambition. As far as India is concerned, if we look at our work, I think over the years, we began in India almost 11 years back. So we were established in around 2012. We started with very few companies, but today that number is almost 130 plus companies, which kind of disclose to CDP in India. 
work with us. About 60 odd companies are working with us to set their science-based targets and look at net zero transition. CDP works in climate, water, forest disclosures. And in our initial years, we would see there was a lot of interest in climate disclosures. But today we see that more and more companies are becoming interested to talk about water security issues. The Indian business ambition for India in terms of how much they want to contribute to environmental issues. And I'm saying environmental because I think it's more than just climate just now. It's going beyond to see companies wanting to contribute to biodiversity. We are going to be including plastics as an area for disclosure from this year. Although it's voluntary this year, we see there's a lot of interest in people wanting to contribute to that. So I think the ambition is not just in terms of volume, but also in terms of looking at an integrated view of environment. So it goes beyond just carbon disclosure. Today, we are going into water, forest, and overall environmental disclosures. So moving on, I read the CDP annual disclosure 2021 report, and it is a bit dated now because it's 2021 and you can tell me about what the changes have been. But reading that report, the Climate Change Performance Index states that India is already on track to meet its 2030 emissions target aligned to a well below two degrees scenario. What does this really mean in layperson terms? And has there been some substantial progress in the year since, I think, 2021 to 23? Can you see some positive movement in that direction? So Sudha, I must say I was a bit worried when I saw that question, because I think, as you said, from a layman's perspective, it needs to be interpreted right. And if it is mentioned in our report, then I must say when we talk about something like India is already on track to meet 2030 emissions target. We are actually referring to the sample based on the sample, and it's an inference based on the sample. So if you see what has happened in this last year, the Prime Minister announced in the COP26 that India's net zero target would be 2070, and there was a lot of discussion around that, that it's too late for us. But if you see what has happened in the last couple of months is that India has revised its NDCs. That's the nationally determined contribution. If you just look at that, we are talking about 50% of our energy coming from renewable sources. That is the kind of commitment that we are looking at. So if you are thinking about that kind of commitment, we are actually moving towards being on track because... A country like India, I think, to make such a commitment itself is the commitment that is required. But coming back to the question on whether we are aligned or not, this is based more in terms of what corporate India is. So if you look at the targets that are being set by a country are also reflected in the business community because where is the emissions coming from? And a large amount of emissions is actually coming from business or from industry. And of course, we also do city disclosures. So we are also measuring the city emissions. So if you look at some of that, there are some kinds of interpretations that actually lead us to think that we are on track. For instance, if you look at some of our corporate disclosures, we see that most companies have emission reduction targets, which means that they are on track in terms of setting a target, getting a target validated. Almost 60% of the companies that are disclosing to us have emission reduction targets and they have net zero transition plans. So from that perspective, it looks like we are on track because it means that 
companies and businesses have started thinking about it. But if you look at the overall country in a holistic manner, then I'm not sure if we can say that we are on track because there are a lot of other things that need to be addressed. And the complexity of addressing this is where the discussion needs to focus on. So we basically need to engage in a conversation which talks more about how to rather than why not. And this neatly segues into my next question on the biggest hurdles or challenges to stakeholders getting on board the NDCs, the nationally determined goals that we have. Because, I mean, all the parties need to play their part. So what are the big challenges? Are these parties collaborating? Is there a lot of conversation or are there just a few players? Is it just the private sector and the government states its ambition and the private sector sees how it can support because it needs to be sustainable too. So it's not just because of the NDCs, but also because of their own sustainability challenges that they are setting some goals. So what, according to you, are the biggest hurdles to stakeholders on getting on board the stated ambition? I mean, in principle, everybody would like to support it. In practice, what are the things that will probably delay or stop them from getting on board? So I think we're all aware, I mean, since you said right in the beginning that this is a layman's conversation, yeah. I wanted to also say that we are all aware that the whole climate discussion is very closely related to the energy discussion. And I think the controversy, as far as India is concerned, is basically the discussion around coal and our dependency awesome. to coal. Yeah. And that, I think, is our biggest challenge. How do we transition away? So, which is why, as I said in my last response, that to actually commit that 50% of the energy that we would be using would come from renewable sources is a large commitment. But what is going to happen with the rest of the 50% is what we should be concerned about. And I think one of the biggest challenges that is there, and this is because as CDP also, we are now trying to really work in this whole area of financing for climate. I think finance is something that we must discuss and talk about in a manner that is not just proposing things, but also to look at how we could build internal capacities to generate this kind of finance. And uh, I'm going to talk about a very practical example when we discuss about this. For a country like India, we are still at a very nascent stage as far as climate financing is concerned. And I want to give an example. Let's look at, say, the investor market. I mean, an organization like CDP globally has about 700 investors who use our data to look at companies, how companies are assessing climate risks, are looking at climate opportunities, looking at energy transition. But within that sample, we have very few Indian investors. So I think the Indian investor market is still not discussing, I mean, look at Indian banks, for instance, are they really looking at risk assessments? Because unless you really push that side, which is very closely linked to the whole aspect of financing, because unless you understand the importance of energy transition and you link financing to it, we would not be able to kind of reach the goals. So I think it's not just about a policy because we talk a lot about the policy part of it, but we don't talk so much about the operations part of it. And the operations part is where the financing comes and where is the funds going to come to ensure this transition? That's one. The second is, of course, energy transition means technology transition. And there again, 
a country like India would need support because we're not really a great place for research. We're yeah. not a great place for developing new technology, innovative technology. So I think that's one area. And even if we are, we come back again to the whole financial models because the newer companies, the newer startups, for instance, are trying to get into the space, but it's not happening again because it again uh-huh. needs investing interest. So that is the second. And the third is, I think, for our country, the social aspect plays a very important role. I mean, transitioning from coal is also talking about the people who are actually employed on the ground and what is going to happen to them. So that's, again, a different story. So I think it's good that this COP, there was a discussion on just transition, and they're talking about things like how do you include just transition in this whole process, and we are talking about a loss and damage fund and all these kind of things which are more relevant to the Africas and some of our Asian countries. So I think if I had to put the hurdles in three boxes, it would be first the financing, which actually becomes cross-sectoral and the larger kind of an umbrella and then feeds into the technology as well as these areas which are looking at the social issues like employment generation, resilience, and some of the terminologies that we use. But it's basically about the people who have been engaged in the not so clean areas of providing energy. How do we deal with their growth or their transition? Exactly. I mean, I think in COP26 in Glasgow, there was some research that showed on the financing part that a lot of the commitments that had been made, not even like, I think 10% of that commitment, people have really seen that. So I think people are not putting money where their mouth is. And just transition, of course, in a country like India, we know with the kind of population that we have, the opportunities for jobs, livelihoods, it becomes even a bigger challenge. And unless we look at all of it together holistically and look at it as all our problems and not just one person's problem, this is not going to be easy to shift or move, I guess. I just wanted to add that I think one of the challenges when we're dealing with, say, climate issue is the fact that we cannot see it in a box. It's correlated to so many other areas. So it's important to look at it holistically. And I think it's very challenging for India because on the one side, we can do a lot when it comes to being a leader in innovation, looking at new ways of doing things. And instead of just adopting what is being done in many of the countries which are much ahead of us. So I think one of the areas where we need to really look at it is, I would say, is not vehemently oppose the transition, but find your own way to kind of do the transition, basically, because I think the alternative method is what we should work in. And that is where probably we need a little bit of investment as a country on the research, the knowledge, the indigenous knowledge, and carve out our own pathway rather than rely on or cry out loud for what we are not getting from the global north. If we spend a little bit of time in looking at how we could create our own models in the transition, that would work better. And I think the corporate sector is really doing that well. If we look at 
say we have a climate leadership plan and we analyze the energy transition models they are working on. And unfortunately, as an organization, we're not analyzing our data enough because we are responsible for generating the data. So by the time we finish generating one year, we are regenerating it for the next year. So we're so busy in upgrading our data that we don't analyze it enough. But I often say that if you look at the 2022 report, 90% of the companies have senior level governance involved in climate transition, which is huge for a country like India. That means they have someone in the board who's actually thinking of climate-related transition. Similarly, 90% of the companies have emission reduction projects. Now, it would be very interesting to see what are these emission reduction projects, assess this emission reduction projects, and see if some of these are replicable. I think those are India models that need to be delved deeper into. So I think while there are the hurdles, I think what is required is a little bit of an out-of-the-box thinking. And our narrative is so much on, I don't want to use the word complain, but it's basically so much on that we cannot do it, that we are not thinking enough on how do we try and do it, but we use our own method of addressing these issues and discover our own way of addressing major issues. That's a very important point because I think Global South is so different and our experiences are so different. And I think the solutions required have to be different. So paying some attention and focusing some of the resources towards that may not be such a bad idea. And I think we've discovered in other models, whether it's the third sector and the social sector and the support that is being provided, what works outside does not necessarily work here. So yeah, localized thinking is important and innovation. So climate disclosure, what are the imperatives for the private sector and public sector, considering that a huge percentage of the big Indian companies operate not just in India, but they have a global footprint. So there are imperatives that come from outside, but within the country also. So I think maybe globally disclosure has a lot of acceptance. So you don't probably think about it as much. But I think for a country like India, we need to understand that disclosures is a new concept. If you look at even CDP or GRI, although we've been around for more than a decade, our sample is very small in terms of addressing it. Most of these companies are companies who have a global presence. So usually when you talk about disclosure, the word itself scares you off saying that, oh, what are you supposed to disclose? And it's always has a negative implication because disclosing means you're telling people something that is not good for the organization or not good for you. But I wanted to really highlight that the best part about disclosure is that it allows you to review your internal strategy. And I think if you ask the companies who disclose to us, the reason that they continue to disclose to us is that it gives them the time and the technical process, the indicators and the benchmarks to review their internal process. So if you look at a CDP climate disclosure, for instance, we have five sections. So the first section looks at governance models that you have, which can review how much of your governance is involved in the climate disclosure process. The second section is on emissions. So it talks about how much emissions are you emitting and are you releasing. So 
what happens is that if you do not have an emissions inventory, you start looking at how to do it. And then you start doing it and you start assessing your own emissions. We have a section on energy. So it talks about what kind of energy transitions, what is your energy consumption, what is your scope to emissions. So you start reviewing all these things. And then the most important part, which I feel that even businesses look at it as an advantage from the business perspective rather from the economics perspective more than the environmental perspective is the assessment of risks and looking at opportunities. And when I say assessment of risks, companies start looking at their value chains, which is also another section in terms of raw material sourcing. Now, when you are doing a disclosure, you try to understand where your raw material is coming and what is the risk associated with these weather changes that are happening. So there are simple introspection issues that come in, which actually are converted into numbers, and you're able to assess your company's risks from climate. And then you have also the opportunity to convert it into an opportunity. So then it's a double opportunity. So basically, what are the opportunities? Like, for instance, if you look at last year's data, the opportunities identified by the Indian companies, 130-odd Indian companies that have disclosed to us, was 10 times more than 2021. And if you delve deeper into it, there are opportunities actually identified in energy transition, So people think it's an opportunity to move from traditional energy sources to newer energy sources, newer and renewable energy sources. And hydrogen, for instance, has been identified as a large opportunity. So the figures have shot up tremendously. So I actually would like to say that in disclosure, there's a business opportunity. And that is the biggest imperative, whether it's for the private or for the public sector, because I think you are able to assess and look at newer models in your business process, in your operations, as well as your value chain engagement. Yeah, I think people fear that compliance, that legal part of it, fear what impact it will have. But like you said, I think there are a lot of positives attached to it. And as you're saying, you've got examples. This is a business risk and resilience thing. So companies have to do it anyway. So again, I'm referencing the CDP India Annual Disclosure Report 2021, and I'm sure you have more updated data. And you mentioned this at the start, that more Indian companies are disclosing than ever before. But they still represent a very small percentage of the number of companies. What can be the nudge for those who are on the fence? Like you said, this is an opportunity. You're looking at the future. You're thinking about what would be best for the company, and you're going to be prepared to deal with whatever that future presents to you? So I think there is an organizational priority in why this number is less, because we also wanted to emphasize on the quality of disclosures so that we have the right kind of data and we avoid people just disclosing for the sake of disclosing. So actually, traditionally, we've kept our samples small. So as far as India is concerned, we had Over the last 10 years, the largest sample that we had was 200 listed companies in the Bombay Stock Exchange. So it was a conscious choice. But if you look at it, as you said, they implemented the BRSR this year and the sample was 1,000. So we've increased our sample to 1,000 also because we wanted to align it, which means that we have now a larger sample to deal with. So I think the nudge would be the regulatory push because so far, The company is disclosed to CDP because investors use our data and it's completely voluntary. But now with the regulatory push, 
they would be automatically disclosing under BRSR. So I don't know, they would just be motivated to disclose to CDP because, you know, okay, we are already disclosing here. So we have the data. Why don't we put it there so investors can use it? So that could be one way, the regulatory push. But the second push that I said right in the beginning is that how do we get Indian financial institutions to start using this data? And how does the Indian financial market start looking at environmental disclosures in a manner to assess the risks, look at the opportunities and kind of look at where it is right to invest. So that's going to be a very important area. And I'm glad that the RBI, the Reserve Bank of India, I think has just put out a paper on climate risk assessment and they're reviewing it. And there is a lot of discussion at the moment around the G20 also in terms of how to include disclosures in the a sustainable finance area as far as the country is concerned. So I think these are the two nudges. But what I also want to add is so that India is a huge market and we are at the moment only talking about the 1,000 listed companies. There are unlisted companies who are... The next uh, 10,000. Yeah, I mean, the Serum Institute is unlisted. So I said, how does an organization like CDP also get into that space is going to be important. And the other space that is not touched at all is the whole SME. I'm not even going to the micro, but if you look at the SME space, we've been trying to generate data in terms of what is the actual number of SMEs in the country. And even that, we don't have the correct data. Somewhere it says six crores. The website says it's 66 lakhs. So we don't even know the exact number that is available out there. CDP has now introduced in India since last year, the supply chain disclosure, where we ask companies to disclose on their supply chain. Unfortunately, it hasn't picked up as much as it should, but that's not because of intent. It's more on capacity. Many of these companies do not even know how to assess emissions. So the other nudge, and it's the least talked about nudge, is how do we build capacity of organizations to assess their emissions and to create a methodology for being comfortable with the disclosures and come forward and disclose. So I think these are some of the areas that really need interventions. And it's not just about one organization, but I think we need a lot of partnerships for that because as an organization, we are limited to generating data, but facilitating the process of supporting the assessment of emissions or actually working with a smaller industry to see how you could facilitate the disclosure process and building internal capacity for doing so are some areas that really need looking into. Yeah. I mean, I think this is so interesting because in my conversations with a lot of corporates, because I talk about ESG and sustainability communications, is that they are struggling whenever they have to gather data, people start struggling because there's no one owner for it, right? You have to go across the organization. They don't know where the resources are going to come for to gather that data. And like you said, sometimes they don't even know how to then get that data and then assess what are you assessing exactly? So a lot of it is about creating the capacity and creating the comfort with the idea that this is how it needs to be done. From what I hear, companies are already struggling. They seem to be frazzled when you speak to them. Oh, we are reporting on this. Oh, we are disclosing this. We are disclosing that data. So there are various voluntary and mandatory reporting that they're already doing. Are there any synergies? I know that there are some synergies between SEBI's, BRSR and CDP's climate disclosure. Uh, and obviously, there must have been some conversation or there has been some 
thought behind this. You don't want to add to people's <laughs> date. So we did a mapping when BRSR was introduced. I must say we were worried whether we would survive because obviously uh, yeah. the, regu- the regulatory push was there. So we did a mapping. So out of the 140 questions, 60 match with us. And actually all the E questions match is the SNG ones, which will obviously have no relation. But there again, there is a catch because we have a lot of social and governance areas which are imbibed within our environmental questions. So when we talk about environmental issues or water issues, then we would obviously talk about displacement of people and things like that, impact on people. So about 60% of the questions are aligned with BRSR, CDP's questions. But we must try to understand that the objective is different. One is a regulatory push, mandatory push. And CDP is a platform that is primarily driven by investors. So it's a validated platform by investors to use data towards the benefit of companies themselves. So I think it's not absolutely different, neither it is similar, because obviously we are primarily very focused on environmental issues. But what I've heard from companies themselves is that the timeline is such that our disclosure ends just before the BRSR disclosure is in the process. So One could look at it as a capacity building exercise where if you do the CDP disclosure, you already have the data, plus your data will be used by investors. So I think at the moment, from what I've heard from companies is that they're quite happy to do both disclosures. And many of the companies are doing both disclosures, which is why we also align the sample. But the issue of multiple frameworks will always be an issue, basically because you have the GRI, you have the CDP, and you have... TCFD and you have BRSR, what CEP tries to do is align with most of these frameworks so that it becomes easier because our objective is slightly different. Our data is data for investors. So I think from that perspective, we do try to align because because it makes a lot of difference. It's not like it's something completely different, but the objective is different in terms of using a CEP platform. Yeah, but I'm sure, like you said, it helps them to gather the data and understand how to collate the data and probably the entire process becomes easier. And of course, everyone is interested in having investors see their data who won't be interested. My next question is on greenwashing. And when I was speaking with Anirban, I mean, he said that it is going to be really bad before it gets better. We've just started on the greenwashing bit. What are your thoughts in the Indian context? So globally also, we see a lot of it. And last year when I spoke at one a conference, I spoke about this concept of this watermelon being green on the outside and red on the inside. A lot of companies are doing the reporting, but they're not exactly green. I mean, I personally think that the greenwashing uh, is something that can be prevented and it's not going to be very easy to do it once we have a very conscious community in terms of understanding what really addressing the environmental issues is. Now, I think what is happening is we have so many assessment agencies and rating agencies and awards and no one really talks about the validation as much. Even to some extent, I think, business community has always been about showcasing because obviously it's a business community. It's more of economics than 
environment. So even environment becomes a business sense. And I just said it a few minutes back when I was answering your question on what is the imperative of disclosure. And I said, opportunities is an imperative, right? So in some ways, we are driving this whole process where we're making an opportunity of addressing climate change. And the moment you do something like that, then you're bound to have a communication or you're bound to have some negative, which leads to greenwashing. But I think it's not just for India, but world over, once we become more conscious and we are aware and we start validating the information that we are generating, I think it'll slowly reduce this whole issue of greenwashing. I'll tell you why, because if you see more and more, say, media or consumers are becoming conscious about companies. So if you look at even CDP scores, once the scores are out, we have a lot of queries if someone's score comes down or if a company that's not, which is in a general term considered unsustainable, gets a rating which is higher than expected from a consumer perspective or from a community perspective. So that questioning and query is going to increase as more and more people become conscious And it's going to become more and more difficult to just award scores or rate based on very beautiful narratives, which is why, you know, if you look at our own disclosure, we are constantly reviewing it. And we've had queries in the last year. I mean, I think it was the New York Times, or I'm not very sure which one, but a very reputed media agency questioned us for a rating to a corporate and we had to relook at it and our scientific team had to respond to it. So I think as more and more people, more and more communication specialists, more and more communities, the younger generation today, I think it's going to be a completely different picture. It's going to be very difficult to fool them because they've grown up with sustainability as part of the process, as part of their reading. So they're much more conscious. I mean, if you look at 30 years back, I know we had an energy discussion, but it wasn't as vocal as it is today. So I think as more and more people become more conscious about the data that is being generated, about validation processes, about the credibility of the organizations and the rating agencies, I kind of take an opposite view from Anirban and say, we cannot underestimate the community because so that when we asked companies why they disclosed to us, they said, The first is because it's a benchmarking exercise. And the second is they said it is because of consumer pressure. So I think it's not just about the money part now. It is about people becoming more and more conscious about where material is being sourced from or what you're using. Is it sustainable enough? So I think let's try to be more positive because anyways, when it comes to environmental issues, if you're going to be negative, I'm going to begin to think that have I not been effective enough? Yeah, I think I must get the two of you for a discussion just on this topic. And you're right, 30 years ago, I think we spoke about a lot of things and we were also young people with dreams about what an ideal society looks like. But there wasn't that urgency that is there today. Today, I think there's a sense of urgency, which is so important. Yeah. So moving on, should companies be aiming for beyond compliance? Because there's so much reporting to do and there's so much work to be done. So they do just what is essential or should they go beyond compliance, beyond the tick box? So I think it's not just about disclosure, but understanding of how you are impacting the environment is going to be about existence more than about business, because you will have to look at 
internal processes if you want to survive. You see this with companies which are dependent on, say, agriculture, for instance, and you see how weather systems are impacting their raw materials. You see this with companies which are in disaster-prone zones. Factory services can be impacted because your factory is in a coastal area and you have to start planning. So I think sooner or later, the realization is going to come. And if you look at the trends, I think five years back, we did not have so much involvement of the business community in environmental issues. Today, we have separate sessions at a COP. So I think one has to go beyond compliance, but compliance is going to drive that process because initially compliance has to drive the process to start looking inwards. And then once you start looking inwards, you understand. And that's when there would be key leaders in this whole mechanism who would set examples and then you would go beyond. But I don't think regulation should be the only reason that you disclose or you begin working towards climate action or environmental action. I think it should be much more than that because it is about survival now, frankly speaking. It is totally about survival. That is so true. Are you able to share some names of leaders who are setting benchmarks in the Indian context? So we publicly release our A-listers and it's available online. Last year, I think we had about 22 companies of which 14 were A plus and the rest were A minus. And this climate leadership band is reviewed every year. So we obviously have them. There are companies who, I mean, the scores do come down. It's not like People are constantly in A. So since you spoke about Anirban, we were hoping that Mahindra would get straight A's for three years. But last year, uh, 2022, they didn't get an A. So yeah, so so they were very disappointed. But we talk about our A-listers, but we don't really talk about the ones who have reduced scores. It's just a CDP policy, but definitely climate leadership. So we are at the end of the podcast. Should I ask you one last question? What would your call to action be to corporates or to cities? Because you'll work with cities and you'll work with corporates. I think what we really need to look at is now for the leaders, the larger companies, I think they need to start looking beyond their own operations and going beyond and not just their own value chain, but handholding others who kind of also impact. So I think in the next few years, scope three emissions is going to be a big issue because many companies, if you look at CDP data also, it's scope one and scope two is consistently reducing, but it's scope three, which is increasing. So the value chain engagement is going to become very important. But the value chain engagement is also important because it is also handholding your suppliers, as well as the upstream and downstream, both the upstream and downstream, to look at how you could help. Because I said one of the biggest issues in the country is capacity. And I think companies can play a major role in helping others build this capacity and contributing to not just reducing emissions from their operations or their space, but also going beyond. And that, I think, also makes good business sense. So while you talk about what you're doing internally, and I think it's important to extend the support to others who are actually contributing to your business in some way, whether in the distribution process or as suppliers. So I think my message would be that 
looking beyond operations and getting into the value chain, getting into the supply chain and seeing how you could support that initiatives to reduce emissions along with technical organizations like ours. That makes so much sense, Pratna. And we've seen from the COVID experience that sharing knowledge is good generally for the world. And this is not IP linked, right? This is just for the better of the earth, which we all wanted to do better and to be able to survive in this world, right? So thank you very much, Pratna. This has been such an interesting conversation. I can see several, several other podcast ideas and we'll discuss that offline once we are done. So thank you very much for giving time for this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.